Welcome to the Imago Day Eastside Gathering Podcast. Hey, Imago Day, it is so good to be with you this Sunday. Uh, wanted to thank you all uh, as you gave towards the end of June in our fiscal year. And we you should be hearing updates about where we landed as we close our books. One thing that I wanted to mention as uh, Oregon has opened up and we have now in-person services, as you know, at the 9-11, both services don't require masks. And yet, of course, if you are more comfortable wearing a mask, you can do that at any service. And I know that there's still some of you who, are, who aren't comfortable coming back to an in-person service. And we will continue to provide online content for you because you are part of our community. We are at a time where whether you're online or in person, you are part of the Imago family. One of the things though that I would invite you to prayerfully consider is helping us relaunch the Imago Day Kids program here at Central City. You know, when we started this church 21 years ago, one of the main reasons that Jeannie and I moved to Portland to start Imago Day out of our living room was because of our kids. And what I mean by that is we were uh, working in churches that we loved and had great people, and yet I knew that if my kids grew up in certain environments, uh, my thought as a father was I'm not, I, I wasn't convinced they would see the fullness of the gospel lived out. And I had the conviction that I wanted my family to experience church in a way where they saw the real gospel, the hands and feet and the proclamation of the gospel lived out authentically with people. And I am so thankful for the community that God has built around us and that my sons and daughter were able to grow up in a church like this. And yet we have a new generation of kids that will be, that are today the church. You don't become the church when you're, you know, 22 or 35 and married or whatever it is. You are the church today and they are our church. And yet they need us to participate with them in making our church everything it's supposed to be. Now, some of you might say, well, I'm not called to work with kids or I'm not gifted to work with kids. That's not the framework that I would ask you to think through. My question would be, are you called to make sure that the next generation of church that exists in our church today experiences believers who love them, who know them, and who come alongside them and participate in life by exemplifying faith to them? That's the question. And the answer to that, I don't care what answer you came up with, the answer to that is yes, you should, right? And so what I would ask you to do is would you pray? Because what we would desire is that come August, we would be able to soft launch and, and our kids' ministry for those of you families with kids. Um, but we need help. We need people who... Uh, not just volunteer, but people who go, I want to invest in our church, in our church that exists right now in the form of these sacred, young, 
boys and girls that are the next generation of Imago Day. And so would you please pray and consider giving some time to help us launch again our kids' ministry as we consider what the church is going to be looking like as we head in uh, into the summer and into the fall. You can find out more information and how to jump in with the information on the screen below. But I believe in these kids, and I have hope that, that you, many of you, will step into this space in the coming weeks and months, and we will build a community of adults and kids who love Jesus, who live for the whole gospel, to the whole person, to the whole world, and they will have grown up knowing that there is a real faith that they adopt for themselves and they live out with their whole heart. Today I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 33, uh, 32, and we are going to continue in our series in Genesis. Uh, we have looked at creation and looked at the ways that in God spoke creation into being and how simultaneously uh, thousands of years later, Jesus brought new creation through his broken body and shed blood and resurrection and sending of a spirit. And that the church now are the ones who are filled with this new creation life and to be displaying it into a world of old creation where sin and death reign. And we looked at what it means to walk by faith in the men and women of Abraham and Sarah and this God who calls us and covenants himself to us and where he calls us, he promises that he will be with us and he invites us to simply walk by faith, that one step at a time, courageous faith that trusts a God who gives himself fully to us. And, and in the life of Jacob, what we looked at last week is how God speaks his promises over us before we are ever born and uses the experiences that we have in life as the raw material to completely save us. In other words, he speaks the fact that he chose you before the foundations of the world, right? To be holy and blameless in his sight. He adopted you as sons and daughters uh, before you did anything. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He had purpose and promise and love that he predestined you for. And then you were born into a home, into a family, into circumstances that you did not choose with genetic makeup that you had no say in. And it's that life that for many of us, we compartmentalize and we don't integrate into our faith. And so what we do is we have these experiences that might be bad. Sometimes they're really bad. Sometimes they're good and they're wonderful. But we, we have a religious kind of experience that we we hold it over here in this kind of faith space. And then we have the whole of our life, marriage and work and singleness and right a bad boss and people ripping me off and uh, hard times and going through loss and all that life is, the messiness of maturing and getting older. And we just don't know what to do with that stuff. And what I love about Jacob's life is that 
we see God show up at a couple different spaces. We look last week as, as he stole deceptively with his mom, stole the blessing that was for his older brother, the two-thirds inheritance of his family's wealth, that his older brother decided that when dad dies, he was going to kill him. And so Jacob is on the run. And at about 20 years old, he runs for his life. And he meets God at this place called Bethel. And he has this experience, this deeply spiritual experience, where the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac meets him. And basically promises to be with him and to fulfill the covenant that he made to Abraham now through Jacob and this young 20-something then goes to Laban, who is his uncle. And it's there that he works, and in Laban he meets somebody who's more deceptive than he is. And he runs from himself, and he runs right into himself in the person of Laban. He meets, he meets his wife, and he marries her, and he marries multiple wives there, and they have multiple kids 11 of the 12 tribes of Jacob are born here. And for 20 years, he works and he's married and he toils. And we don't hear from God at all. It's just the normal ordinariness of life. And yet God uses all those experiences from marital conflict to dirty diapers right, to working with bad bosses, to trying to figure out how we're going to meet, make ends meet. He uses all of those things to shape us and to form us into the people we're becoming. Work is sacred. Relationships are sacred. Marriage is sacred. Singleness is sacred. Having kids are sacred, right? Being a neighbor is sacred. You know, a, a boss, being a boss or an employee is sacred. God says all of it is the stuff that I'm using to form you into the image of my son. And yet there comes this moment in Jacob's life where he can no longer go forward. He has this past that he has stuffed, that he has put behind him, hoping that it would just stay and live there. He's ran from his past. He's ran from his home. He's created a new life for himself. Now he has a new family, but he's stuck. And in that place of stuckness, God meets him. And God tells him, Jacob, the only way to go forward is to go back. And this is part of everyday grace. This is part of this walk of faith where as God is maturing you in your relationship and in your journey of faith, we hit these moments where we're just stuck. And we're like, I don't, for whatever reason, I can't go forward anymore. My faith seems stale. Um, my, my hope seems gone. And, and we hit these walls and they're not, they're not on accident that God actually allows us to get stuck because he says there's something back here that I want you to revisit. There's something back here I need to heal. There's something back here that you need to forgive. There's something back here that I want to work with you on. I need you to go backwards before you go forwards. And that's true for all of us. I know for me, uh, when my kids were born, I was 20, my twins were born, I was 22, 23 years old. 
And I realized that um, I did not know how to be a dad. Um, I have a, a relationship with my dad. I love my dad. But I didn't get a lot of uh, education or mentoring when it comes to what it means to be a father and to connect on an emotional level with these kids. And I'm holding these two just beautiful, sacred kids that I'm like, the only thing I'm going to do is mess these poor kids up. And I was stuck. I could read parenting books. I could do all these things. But how will I emotionally give myself to my sons and my daughter? And it put me in a place where I needed to go back to revisit some places, to get some healing for some things so that I could go forward. And there's been other times in my life where I had to go back in order to go forward. Brothers and sisters, when God invites you to go back to go forward, we will feel that resistance. I do not want to go there. And what Jacob's story gives us is what that resistance looks like but also what kind of opportunity there is that God has for you in going back in order to go forward. So let's look at Genesis 32. Jacob has turned and he's leaving with his, with his wives and his children, with the people who are working for him, with all of his flocks, and he's heading home. He sends people out to meet Esau because he's terrified that his brother is going to kill him like he threatened to do 20 years ago. And there's this scene where it's nighttime and he takes his camp and he separates all the people and the animals and the flocks into two groups, thinking that if they come and attack one, then the other one will get to be free and he finds himself by himself in the night. And it's in that place of loneliness and quietness that he encounters God in the depths of this kind of wrestling with what kind of person he was, the kind of man he longs to be in the future, the mistakes that he can't outrun that are actually coming at him at this moment. And if we look at verse 22, we find one of the most, I think, interesting and hopeful passages in all of Scripture. It says this, That night Jacob got up and he took his two wives and his two female servants and his eleven sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all of his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. It's in those places of loneliness that, that what is truly going on inside us tends to come up. I don't know when that time is for you. For me, it's when I try to go to sleep. Um, for, I know for my wife, it's in the morning right? When, when she's waking up and she's thinking about life and she has some quiet time. But it's wherever that space is where life has quieted down around you and whatever anxieties, whatever concerns, whatever is rolling around inside of you surfaces, what do you do with that? And what I want to encourage you to do is that when that stuff comes up, that is actually an opportunity from the Holy Spirit to bring it before God and say, God, let's 
deal with this. This is what it looks like for Jacob. Jacob is sitting there alone, and it says, And a man wrestled with him until daybreak. And when the man saw that he couldn't overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. This is, this is such a fascinating moment because what you have here is Jacob and he's alone and he's not wrestling with God. God is wrestling with him. It says a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Most commentators see this as an angel of the Lord or Jesus pre-incarnate. So here God is, Jesus is attacking Jacob in the middle of the night. And, and there is this physicality Right There's this anguish that exists when it comes to facing our past. When it comes to the wounds that we've created in other people, the hurts that we've caused, as well as the wounds we've received and the pain that we carry, the places that we need to forgive others, but the places we need to seek forgiveness, it's all there. And the problem is many of us don't have the type of spiritual understanding of what to do with these things that fall outside of our religious sort of methodologies. These are the, the things that aren't so pretty, that aren't so tidy, that, that, that we don't speak of as good church people. And yet all of those things are the things that God says, no, I'm actually interested in those things that you want to push away. I'm going to make sure that they come up in the middle of the night, and I'm actually going to meet you there, and we're going to wrestle with those things. My youngest son was a wrestler, and um, you know everybody has their own experience of wrestling. I wrestled in high school for like three months because uh, they needed a heavyweight their senior year, and I didn't have to cut weight. That I never would have done it if I had to do that. But the whole object to wrestling is to impose your will on your opponent, right? You're going to get this person to submit, essentially, to lay on their back and to give up. So here is God and Jacob, and they're wrestling with each other. And what's interesting about this is the scriptures tell us that Jacob is actually winning. It says that the man wrestled with him until daybreak. This is a long wrestling match, by the way. Like if you can go three, four minutes of wrestling, you're going to be wiped out. They're going much longer. They're sweaty. They're bloody. They're dirty. And it says when the man saw that he could not overpower him, Right? So Jacob is actually winning this wrestling match. And that says something about Jacob. It says something about how his character has kind of hardened. It says how much he doesn't want to deal with his past, how much he is fighting his own transformation, whether he thinks it's good for him or not. We do not yield to God easily. 
It's just not that simple. And God understands that, that when our will is bent inward on ourselves, when we want what we want, when we want to do what we want to do, when we want our life to be what, our, what we want our life to be like, and God calls us to actually change, to let our, our character be broken so that he might reform it, we fight that. We wrestle with that. Those places of pain that you have allowed to remain buried in your past, and God says, no, I want to bring that pain up. What are we going to do with this? For me, one of the major wrestling matches that God and I have had over the years has been around uh, my daughter Kaylee. And uh, she was born with a developmental disability. She's high functioning. And yet because of her disability, um, that has left her in, at times with uh, a life that is very painful, right? Socially, it's painful. She lives with a lot of anxiety. Um, she'll be with us probably for her whole life uh, in terms of capacity. And I would wrestle with God because, you know, she didn't choose this. This was something that, that happened before she had a say in it. I didn't choose this. I would wrestle over whether God caused this or he allowed this or, or what the issues are around this. I would wrestle, why don't you heal, God? I would wrestle with all kinds of things. I would wrestle with just the grief over it. And what I have come to appreciate is that not only do we have a God that allows us to bring all those feelings to bear, but he meets us. He actually embraces us in those feelings. And when that embrace is a son sobbing on his father's shoulder, he embraces me. But when it's a son that's trying to throw the father down and shake answers out of him, he goes to the mat with me as well. And after these years of wrestling, right, I, I, I recognize that I don't think I was ever like Jacob and was able to overtake God. But that wrestling was part, it's such an important part of my formation. And I, and I believe, brothers and sisters, it's going to be part of your formation, too, if you, haven't, if you haven't given yourself permission to be honest with God yet, because God meets us in this place. And as Jacob begins to overtake him, God does the most unfair thing, and he reaches out, and he grabs his hip, and he just pops it out of socket. And all of a sudden, Jacob's clinging to him, right? He's weak. His body has been weakened. He's received this wound. And, and the wound that we receive in life, all of us carry to a greater or lesser extent, whatever that wound is. And I think when it comes to our wounds in God, we don't really know what to do with them. This is uh, a story. I don't think God reaches out and wounds all of us, right? But life wounds us, circumstance wound us, other people wound us, and we wound other people. 
What do we do with our wounds? How do we understand our wounds? The wound that Kaylee carries and the wound that we carry with her, the grief and the loss at times for when for when she's sad and she's lonely. What do I do with that? And what, I, what I've come to believe that God allows our wounds to occur so that he can expand our heart because that's what wounds do. When you have suffered, uh, whatever that wound is, there's kind of two places you can go. One, you can cling, you can go inside, go cynical, go angry, go bitter, and become less human, become more closed off, less accessible, and you actually become less of what God wants you to do. Or God says, I am going to touch you. It's going to hurt. But if you trust me, if you cling to me, when you feel the weakness that comes from that wound, I can use this wound to expand your heart. And so what that looks like is that you see these people who have incredibly painful stories from their past, whether it's abuse that they've suffered. And now they're working with women that have been sex trafficked and they're helping set the captives free. What is that about? It's because they received a wound that they wrestled with before God, and God used this wound that is evil, that he turned to a goodness, that he used to expand their heart. And it's a hard place to get to, to accept the wound that we have carried for years and years. But when we can come to the place of acceptance, and I think part of why we don't want to accept it is because accepting a wound is to admit weakness. It's to admit how fragile life is. It's to admit that being human is not to be anything like God, but it's actually, there's some weakness here. But if we can accept it and allow God to expand our heart, and cling to him in our weakness, he can transform us into someone that looks much more like Jesus, right? So where will you go with your wrestling? And where will you go with your wound? Um, will, you, will you give it to God? Will you allow yourself to accept it and cling to God and wrestle with that wound so that he can expand your heart? Or will you... Will you get angry with God and go inside and become bitter, cynical, begin to blame and punish everybody else for that wound? And so Jacob gets wounded. His hip is out. He is immediately weakened. And in that weakness, he wraps his arms around the angel and clings to him, clings in dependency, clings in a sense that he will not go. And even as 
the angel sees, it says, the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And I, I love that tenacity about Jacob, that here he is in his weakened state, but he uses the energy that he has, despite his weakness, to cling to God and say, I am not letting you go unless you bless me. You know, we do not earn anything in our faith. It's all given by grace. But, but, but not earning doesn't mean there isn't effort, right? In other words, grace, I, I fear for many of us that we have taken this idea that, that grace exists, that Christ did it all, that we are forgiven, that somehow that means it's all on him and we now are apathetic. But but grace is freeing in that we don't have to earn our salvation, but it doesn't mean it doesn't require energy, my friends. This journey of faith is going to require every ounce of energy we have. And so in this weakened place, he is clinging, he is clinging to the angel. And he says, I am not letting go of you until you bless me. There is something about this process of wrestling with God and, and allowing and accepting that wound that expands our heart and in our weakness, finding our dependency completely on clinging to God that the transformation comes. And we have a God that invites that. We do not have a polished up God that is too clean, too pure, too holy, too sanctified, that he can't handle how messy and broken your life is. He can go into the darkest darkness that's inside of you. He can roll around in the dirtiest places in your life. He can get as bloody as you need him to get because he shed every ounce of his blood on the cross for you. This is a God that is so serious about our transformation that he is willing to go to the mat with you. The question is, are you serious about your transformation? And what he sees in Jacob in this clinging and saying, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me, is he sees that seriousness. And he says to him, what's your name? I love this question. Because it's in that moment that I think this whole wrestling match comes to its head when he says, what's your name? And Jacob has to tell him, Jacob. If you remember back last week, Jacob's name means deceiver. And when Esau stole the blessing, Esau says, how rightly is he named Jacob, that deceptive one? And so the angel says, what's your name? He's saying, what's your character? Who have you been? What's your past? Tell me about like your whole thing that you're trying to pretend is back there, hidden away, and everybody's forgotten about it. Bring it to the light. What's your name? And he says, Jacob. And that in that honest moment of weakness and woundedness and clinging and dependency and confession before God, that's the moment of transformation. And he's renamed. And the angel says to him, your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel. Right? Your name is no longer Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans 
and have overcome. When you think about the people of God in the Old Testament named Israel, the nation named Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, it comes from this story, this moment, right? This is not just the transformation of one man. It is the transformation of the people of God in this moment. And it's in that moment where he clings to God in that weakened state and God in his grace renames him. Brothers and sisters, you and I have been given a new name in Jesus Christ. And what he invites us to, to receive that name, where we go from those who have rejected Jesus, those who are sinful, and while we were yet sinning, he died for us. When we go from those who have, who have despised the Son of God to sons and daughters, he gives us a new name. But that process of living into it, right, because I still most days go, man, I don't feel like a son of God. I feel like I feel like that guy that keeps failing, that keeps. But it's living into the name that I've been given. Right. Jacob is going to have to go live out now. What does it mean to be Israel? There is a new creation that just occurred. There is a new beginning here. And every time that you and I come to Jesus and we confess our sin, he says to you, you kneel as sinner, but you rise as saint. You are now my son. You are now my daughter. Today is a new beginning for you. Be renamed. This is the process of the transforming journey with Jesus. It's all right here. But it requires that we be honest with God, that we get into the dirt, that we wrestle with him. It requires, right, that we would, we would actually bring up that wound and, and, and wrestle with it before him and accept it and allow it to expand our heart we would accept the weakness that it brings to our life. And in that weakened state, we would cling to Jesus. And as we cling to him, we would cry out to him, bless me, change me, show up for me. And it's that place, when we're that honest, that he shows up and he renames us and he changes us and reshapes our future. I love how this story goes because Jacob then is going, tell me your name, verse 29. And the angel says, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him. So Jacob calls the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and my life was spared. It's after the wrestling match that he realizes, oh my gosh, that was not some masquerader that just like flipped out and jumped me in the middle of the night. That was God. And we were doing a whole lot more than just this moment. He was dealing with my whole life. And so he renames that place and says, it's because I saw this face of God. I love this verse. Then the sun rose up above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the Israelites don't eat the tendons attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. 
It reminds me of a movie with Jacob now walking off into the into the sunrise and he's limping on a staff. And for the rest of his life, Jacob, who is now Israel, is going to walk with a limp. For the rest of his life, that wound is going to be part of his story. When we get to the book of Hebrews, it tells us that by faith, Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph while he leaned upon his staff. It's that transformation, a transformed Jacob, right? The Jacob who fled for his life that was a deceiver. What does the transformed Jacob looks like? It looks like Olympian Israel. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is inviting us to this journey of transformation where every aspect of his life is brought on, our life is brought honestly to him. And he is a God that is not afraid of honesty. And he is a God that you can trust, that you can wrestle with, that you can bring your whole self to. And in some ways, he's a dangerous God because he is so interested in our transformation that he's willing to make us uncomfortable at times. But it is for our good and his glory. And so as Jacob walked away with a limp, he didn't walk away as Jacob, he walked away a changed man as Israel. And brothers and sisters, the invitation for you today is just to take a moment and ask the Lord, Lord, am I stuck right here? Do I need to go back so I can go forward? Are you calling forward like things in my life that, that I need to go to the mat with you over? Are there wounds that I have been ignoring that I'm limping in other ways, but not authentic ways? Who am I? If you were to ask me that honestly today, Lord. And God, the real God, stands before you going, hey, I'm ready. I'm ready to take everything that you have experienced. And in my grace, I will wrestle with you in it so that you might be renamed and be a new creation. For your joy and the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen.